I am super excited this morning uh, as we celebrate. I have dubbed it International Women's Month. Uh, Women's Day was not enough, so we've gone Women's Month. And so, with that in mind, Dr. Rasilla Onyango, HSC, spokesperson for the National Police Service. Welcome to Capital FM. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Farid. And uh, thank you to the on behalf of the National Police Service. It's wonderful to have you. To thank Capital FM for having us this morning. It's so wonderful to have you here. Uh, you know, for, for a for a person in the National Police Service, you smile a lot. <laughs> <laughs> It's inborn. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a nice uh, smile. It's so wonderful as well. <laughs> uh, so great to have you with us, uh, Dr. Rasilla. Uh, and and really a pleasure to, to be speaking with you uh, this morning. So much to get through. But first and foremost, I think we need to talk a little bit about who you are, how you got to where you are, and why you decided that police work was the work you were going to pursue. Thank you. Um, as you correctly mentioned my name, um, Dr. Rasilla, the spokesperson for the National Police Service. I have been in the police for 19 years. Uh, so as for now, this is my most current appointment last year as the spokesperson for the National Police Service, which is just the link between the National Police Service and the public so that we inform the public, we clarify issues, as it were, we be as objective as we are supposed to be, and uh, to, to, to create that community police engagement. It's very important for us because we are here to serve members of public and without that close interaction, uh, it doesn't become so easy for us. Hmm. Yes. Okay, and, and, and what does is, what is the work entail? I mean, you, you've mentioned that it's the link between yeah. the police uh, and the public, but really, what does that work entail? Because you do have to be the friendly face of the police. And, 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 and let's be honest, it's a, it's a, a, a sector of, of our country that we don't perceive oftentimes as friendly. So it, yes. it's quite a, quite a challenge for you to present a friendly face of the police. What does yes. all that work entail? My work is, is beyond, I, I have two, two titles in one, eh, in that office. I'm the director of corporate communication okay. for the National Police Service, and then I'm the spokesperson for the National Police Service. So as a directorate of corporate communication, it's, a, it's about brand, brand and image building for the police. And uh, as I've said, connection with the members of public through effective communication. And there is just so much that, that we do, of course, one way to change the narrative about the perception and what the police is about is to tell people the truth as much as it is. Uh, they want to know. Of course, we have to sensitize the public also, but more has to do with us, okay? Because we are the ones who are here to serve the members of public and we have to serve them to their satisfaction, yes. Okay, so 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 it's a service. Uh, I mean, obviously, national police service is a service. Oftentimes, we don't look at it as a service yes. because we fear that side of the law quite a bit. But if we're yeah. on the right side of the law, we should be okay. Um, as a yes. woman in the police service, yes. uh, it, it, it and I, I, if I'm wrong, you can you can correct me. But it must be quite challenging. Uh, I know there's been a lot of growth in this space over the last sort of uh, decade or so, but it must have been quite challenging. 19 years in the police service is a long time. Yes. Uh, so we're going back to basically the the early 2000s, yes. uh, 2004, I think would be 2003, 2004. Right. Yes. So how much has changed for women in the police service during those 19 years? You correctly put it. It's a very challenging environment for female police officers because it's male-dominated career and it is paramil uh, paramilitary. In terms of training, the structures, everything was was meant to suit the men. 
and so when we came in you you realize even over the years when the, we began there are years when we were not even employing or recruiting women even after we had introduced with the first female officer uh, in those years early years so the training is the same when we go for the training wow. we are not divided by gender and uh, so you can be sure that one prepares us at at par level when you come to the field what has worked and has changed very much and i must appreciate this as it is backed by uh, uh, scientific evidence is that the the affirmative action that the government took in the public uh, institutions to ensure that at least uh, 30% of the slots are favoring the, oppos the, the opposite gender. The women have benefited more from it. So you find during recruitment, uh, during promotions and uh, de uh, deployment, the National Police Service deliberately considers women at per the 30%. And so you find our representation now is 15 to 16%. Over the last five, six years, the statistics that I have personally analyzed for my research, it shows that we've been very stable, consistent at 15, 16%, uh, which is good because in many countries, uh, even developed countries, a lot of them have even as low as 5% oh, wow. representation of women. Okay. Yeah, so we are doing very well. Okay. And and how important is it that the spokesperson and the director of corporate communications for the National Police Service is a woman? Because you can also really drive that agenda as well. I don't think the appointment was made purposely for that. But as you say, the agenda it drives is that with proper training and with the proper support that you give female officers, we can do as well as our male colleagues. Mm -hmm. So this is appointment based on, you know, an officer has been trained, you've been prepared, and they, we, we consider competencies so that we don't just deploy women also for the sake of being women. Right. Would be very wrong. So not to just fill yeah. a quota or a number. Yeah, that would be very wrong. And uh, I believe that has been, that would be the best policy drive. You have also to measure up to, to, to that position in as much as the 30% will benefit women more than men, mm. yes. What, were you surprised by the appointment last year? Were you surprised that you were given this, this, this incredible role as the spokesperson and director of corporate communications? Very surprised. <laughs> I didn't expect that at all, at right, all, right. yes. It came without any hint. And uh, I, I can only say, <laughs> I can only thank God and uh, uh, the senior hierarchy that thought and believed in me that I would do this and um, for me it is good for the fellow co female officers to know that our inclusion in decision making positions as women in the National Police Service there is space for that mm. and they are that has always been the challenge in many police departments that you'll find you promote many women but you promote them at the lower ranks mm -hmm. but at the des top decision making position you may have them very extremely limited so for me this is good for our especially the young female officers they know that they can go very far the girl child in the village that wonders whether when they join the police service is their hope in the police service in this country it's very very good for them mm -hmm. yes why did you join the police service 19 years ago? What was the reason for that? Is it, is it something that's, that, that, that comes from your childhood? What, what was, the, what was the, the, the decision? The decision is just uh, that childhood passion that I had. One, I had passion for the uniform. So it was either the military 
or the police. And if it was going to be the military, I was going to the military police. So the police in it has always been very strong. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I finished uh, high school and got good grades and qualified uh, through the Joint Admissions Board those days, I went to Moi University, did my undergraduate uh, in education. I had uh, not lost interest in policing. So when I finished, I did not go to teach. I still went to try the police. and. Uh, I got to the police and I've never regretted. You can be sure, having lived in the U.S. for seven years, okay. uh, studying there, uh, doing my, my postgraduate studies, I had opportunities to remain there. Right. I've had opportunities to go to other jobs. I've had quite a number. But the passion for the police has kept me. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. We're going to talk about your experience in the U.S. and, of course, yeah. uh, your Ph.D. because you are a doctor, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and also we'll come back and talk a little bit about the accountability of police officers who are engaging in bad police practices because uh, this is something that will probably be on the minds of many of our listeners this morning uh, and what uh, your role as the spokesperson and director of corporate communications would be in uh, addressing those things as well. If you have any questions for my incredible guests this morning, get them in now, 984 in the morning, hashtag drive in on Twitter, or you can send a WhatsApp straight to the studio on zero. 971-984-984. Quickly now, Dr. Rasilla, um, I noticed uh, on your title you have a PhD, well you have a doctor, yes. and then you have an HSC. Yes. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the HSC, no, let's talk about the PhD first. Yes. You traveled uh, many, not many years ago, some years ago, yes. uh, to do a master's degree. Yes. Correct. Right. Okay. Take so so and then obviously you got a PhD and you became a doctor. So tell us about that. After I joined the the police service, I joined the Kenya Police Service, and then I decided I wanted to pursue my postgraduate uh, degrees, and I applied for scholarship with Ford Foundation uh, International Fellowships Program. I won it. Uh, in the ten years of the existence of that scholarship, I'm the only policewoman that won. The only police officer in this country that won that scholarship. As well as the only police female police officer in the country with a PhD as well. Yes. Right. So I went to the U.S., did my master uh, science in criminology at the University of Pennsylvania. That's a great school. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> An Ivy League school, very hard to get. Then I came back and decided to go back now for my PhD, and I got again another full scholarship from the graduate center at the City University of New York. Wow. So I went back and was there for another five years and I got the second master degree in route, so in criminal justice. Wait, so you have an undergraduate from Moore University, yes. two master's degrees yes. and a PhD. Correct. And the PhD is in? Criminal justice. Criminal justice. Yes. That is incredible. You must have such a proud family. <laughs> Truthfully, you must have such a proud family. Um, and, and, you know, what were some of the learnings you would have brought back from your experience seven years in the U.S.? Some of the learnings you would have brought back that you implement today uh, with the work you do with the National Police Service. Yeah, as I look at the, some of the things I learned, you asked me about the HSC. The HSC, mine is to really being grateful to to be recognized by the commander-in-chief for us in uniform is a very big thing so that one i'm very grateful to our current president because it's the president who recognized me for having been the first woman with a with a phd in the history of the country in the police so i'm very grateful to his excellency the president uh, the police in the u.s is very advanced and having been in a criminal justice program the exposure i got there including the police officers in the U.S. allowing me to visit their police stations, visit their laboratories, their forensic labs to learn. 
uh, technology, the way they've employed technology is very high level. And so it really minimizes the human, you know, work. And, and error yeah. as well, human yes, error, yeah. Yes, well, they've really digitalized and uh, opened up also to, to adopt best practices uh, through research. So there's a lot that they do in collaboration with the universities so that we don't go routine we are able to test and see the cost effectiveness of some of the practices and the policies that we are implementing so i learned quite a bit uh, from from them yeah. Uh, yeah and and how is the the national police and the police in general in 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 kenya now leveraging technology and data gathering and things like that is there is there a big push for that now yes we began the modernization program the modernization program where we incorporated the technology. So you, we have the CCTV cameras. If you, you've been going around the city, you're likely to see some of the CCTV cameras on the, you know, like like that camera on the road. They are, we are monitoring them from Jogo House here, uh, the headquarters. We have the integrated command uh, uh, center at the IG's office. We are able to monitor the city. Uh, but there is quite a huge room for improvement. You see in the U.S., for instance, all their vehicles are mounted with laptops and at the click of a button, if they, they arrest a suspect, they can be able to tell all your criminal background and where you reside and all that. So we are progressing towards that. The, uh, the technology is what we really need at this time. The OB, the occurrence book, for instance, now when you report at a police station here in Nairobi, uh, especially if the pilot project started in Kasarani, we have it in Kamkunji, and you are able to have your reports recorded, not physically, now it is technology. Okay, yeah. so no longer the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer the book, right. so somebody cannot say we lost the, the, the page mm. uh, where your offense was reported. So mm. we are able to hold officers accountable. By that. And that was my next question was yeah. going to be, this is not just for the convenience of the citizen, Yes. But this is also for the accountability of the police force yes. and the police service in general. Correct. Okay. Yes. So th this one now with the task force, you know, His Excellency the President has uh, put up a task force uh, that is headed by the uh, Emeritus uh, Chief Justice Retired, uh, Honorable David Maraga. So they are looking holistically at the, the, the issues of welfare terms and conditions of work mm. of the National Police Service. So we are are waiting to for their recommendations and uh, looking forward to the implementation of, of those recommendations that will uh, leverage the national police service to be more effective mm. more efficient in service delivery to the nation okay yes. we'll take another quick break we come back after the sports if you have questions as i said zero seven zero one nine eight four nine eight four or nine eight four in the morning hashtag drive in on twitter we have an incredible lady in studio with us this morning, Dr. Rasilla Onyango, HSC, PhD, two master's degrees. Uh, I'm so impressed uh, by by you and your affability and your warmth as well. Uh, you know, when they say that, when they said the uh, the spokesperson for the National Police Service is coming in, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, truthfully, I've I've been fortunate enough to basically uh, interview uh, every spokesman for the last twenty odd years, um, and you know, always get a different uh, perception of the police through the spokesperson because you are a police, I guess you're a policewoman first, 
But truthfully, you are the friendly face of a service that is there to protect me as a citizen. And I think that's the key that we must remember. A couple of questions that have come in on social media already. Uh, someone is asking me to ask you what uh, you're doing about cars with illegal sirens. I know I hate this because every time I see it, I think I'm being followed by a cop and it's just some guy with a siren in his car. Uh, so what is the, the story there? Surely it's not okay to have a... I, can't, I shouldn't be able to go to a garage today and put a siren and flashing lights on my car. Yeah, that will be abuse. Yeah. Of uh, matters that are supposed to be serious mm-hmm. because we use sirens for very serious issues. There is an emergency. Ambulance are supposed to use sirens not because it is an ambulance, but because there is life on board that is in danger and needs to be saved. Police officers are using siren. They could be responding to. A, a, a scene where you know quick response of the police matters. Of course, there are government officials um, that that have the the authority to to use the sirens. So it should not be abused at all. Uh, I may not delve so much in it because I I believe this matter has come up and is in court. Okay. Uh, because I believe last year or the year before. The year before last year, we must have issued uh, a directive through the uh, the office of the Inspector General which cars should or which category of people should have the sirens. Right, but it can't be a guy like me it just driving around. Everybody, yeah, no. okay. We will abuse it. Okay, and and actually, we've seen it. We've definitely seen it on and off here in in Nairobi. I've seen it in Nairobi a couple yeah, of times. Uh, the same person has asked a question about uh, corrupt traffic cops, but I'll just go into another question, uh, and maybe this is from a more scientific perspective. What steps are being taken to improve the accountability of bad police practices, uh, something that frightens the normal citizen? Whenever a cop pulls you over on the road, you have no idea what the outcome will be, even if you've done nothing wrong. Um, and they do seem to be in areas where it's quite simple just to wave every other car down. What 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 is what is the role uh, the police are playing or the National Police Service is playing and specifically your role at ensuring that this these bad police practices are now coming to an end? The issue of uh, corruption of police officers. What is clear and is truth is that most police officers are very professional in their work. The way we have in studies of crime, you'll find a very small percentage of persons or offenders accounting even for more than 50% of the crimes. This is the scenario. And that person that has uh, asked the question has narrowed it down very well because the police has so many units, police has so many works that we do, and so it's narrowed down to the traffic. Even among the traffic officers, you will be surprised to get there, those ones who don't engage in, in corrupt practice, whichever the way it goes. We do not train or teach police officers in any of the police colleges to be corrupt. So when somebody engages in bad practice, the Inspector General of Police, now Mr. Jaffet Komi, he, will, he has the, the officers who are doing the right thing, they have the backing of the IG and the hierarchy. Those who are doing to the contrary, they face, if it is court, they go to court. If it is a matter of discipline, they'll face the disciplinary uh, committee. Hmm. So it is that clear. We don't sit as uh, at the headquarters or at the police leadership and uh, we, we are clapping 
for officers who are engaging in bad practice. Now, other than that, of course, there are those independent uh, constitutional officers we have in the country that have been mandated with the task uh, or, or the role of uh, oversighting the police. Uh, one of them, they, 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 they we have uh, IPOA. Uh, it offers external oversight authority to the police. Mm -hmm. um, because corruption takes many, many ways. It, it may not necessarily be the cop that is taking money on the street. It could be a cop also that wo looks the other way around when uh, crime is happening. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's wrong. But on that note, we also are guilty of corruption as citizens and motorists because we often feed the beast by knowing that if I've got a thousand bob in my wallet and I've done something wrong, like done an illegal U-turn or don't have a license, I will obviously say, you know, we, we're not helping ourselves. And I know this. So it's a two-way street as well, right? We have to also stop offering to sort the problem out then and there. I agree. But they emphasize that police officers... They are the public officers. Mm. We have the moral obligation to say no to unethical practices. Mm. And that will be the dream, right? Every yes. police officer says, yes. I'm sorry, yes. even for that amount of money, yes. I have to give you a ticket, or I have to take you to the police station. Yes, that should be the case because the, the, the moral obligation, Chapter 6 of the Constitution on Integrity, lies with us. Right. Yes. Yeah, you're the watchdog of that for sure as a police. Um, every government or every five years, the topic of conversation that is on the top list of the politicians that are, you know, in the election uh, campaign mode is police reforms, police reforms, police reforms, police reforms. It, have there been reforms over the course of the last 20, 30 years and we just don't see them? Um, it, it, what, are, what are some of the big improvements maybe in the police force that we can you can say that these are milestones and and a good trajectory for the next 20 years? Uh, to be honest, there have been a lot of changes. From the time I joined the police in 2003 as a recruit constable, up to this time, I've seen quite a lot of changes. One one of the very significant changes I've, I've, I've just shared is, is the, the gender inclusion of, of women in the National Police Service. And, the, you know, we are discussing the International Women's a month here. <laughs> yes, the, the, the support, the empowerment that female police officers have been given in the country is very commendable. Having told you that we have 15% representation of female officers. Yeah. That is incredible. <coughs> in many studies of uh, women in policing, that really sounds very great. Mm. And 30% is the, is the goal. That is the goal. But because this is a, a paramilitary organization, we have to also be very realistic that issues of equality, police and uh, men and women may not come overnight. We have to go the equity way and slowly, slowly we make progress towards that 30%, of course, which is still equity, but we'll be very good. Now, if you see some of the modern programs we've, we, we have now, I, uh, we've talked of the modernization of the technology. We are embracing technology and uh, through the modernization program, if it is uh, going to move on at that uh, better pace, uh, we are going to see police that is very technical, technologically empowered. Mm -hmm. We have uh, now, when you go around, we have hospitals for the police uh, to take care of that. We have the leasing program for the police motor vehicles. We used to have trouble with the police vehicles. Nowadays, you can see very good 
uh, you must have seen. Yeah, it. the the Persians, the, yeah. they're they're very fancy. Yes, <laughs> they're very are, nice. Yeah, yeah, very. So because the government went to the leasing program, so it is easier for us. Another person is taking care of the vehicles as we do the service delivery. Mm -hmm. We we have I've mentioned the hospitals. Uh, His Excellency the President just opened an hospital the other day in uh, Kitui. Uh, the border police hospital. We have the hospital here in Bagadi. We have quite a, a very good medical insurance uh, for police officers. We used to be with the NHIF. Now we, we are with the CIC consortium. These are some of the progress that we have made. Hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the, the task force that is reviewing the terms and conditions and the welfare of the National Police Service, it's already on course. And we are all looking forward as Kenyans to see their recommendations and the much it is going to do to, 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 to push forward the National Police Service. There's something we don't think about uh, as citizens. We look at cops, uh, and this is a global thing, not just a Kenyan thing, as I wouldn't say the enemy, but something to, to fear. Yeah. But we don't realize what it is a, a police officer goes through, um, the things that a police officer sees that we will never see. Uh, from my understanding, mental health is a big part of the agenda of the police service. Mm -hmm. um, and that would obviously be a massive uh, improvement in the conditions and the working conditions of the police service. What, what is the National Police Service doing uh, to address issues related to mental health and well-being amongst its officers? Yes, and um, be, before I handle this, uh, Farid, uh, let me also just add that among the very significant uh, reforms that we have uh, implemented in this country, we have a very state-of-the-art uh, forensic laboratory at the DCI, uh, which once complete and fully operationalized in terms of, uh, you know, like equipment, and, you know, because of technology, again, it has to be maintained uh, from now and then. That lab is offering so much within the country and to other government uh, agencies that deal with the investigations. We offer those services. And uh, within the region, we are probably one or among the very, very few countries that have mm. a lab such as the one we have. Which, which is great because I know from what I've read in the past, countries like uh, the East African community will be using the lab for very complex forensic cases. Is that correct? You know, we have uh, the Eastern African Police Chiefs Corporation where we have the police chiefs from all these countries within this region working closely together. So uh, the, the lab will expand and um, there could be such arrangements that will be affected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it is... It is, you see, when the president of the African uh, police, the mechanism, we have the AFRIPOL, currently is the Inspector General uh, National Police Service. I see. Because it is rotated every two years, country to country. Right. So you see, we have very close cooperation, region and uh, within the, 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 the entire continent. And of course, we also work very closely with other international uh, agencies such as Interpol. Uh, through the DCI, we, we, we closely work with Interpol. Mm. Now, the issue of mental health, mental health, as you correctly put it, it doesn't just affect the National Police Service in Kenya. It's, it's one thing that research shows that around the world, police officers are disproportionately affected by mental illness compared to the general public. That's why you find also the issues of suicides, for instance. It tends to be higher among police officers than among the general public. The nature of the work itself is, is very stressful. We are, we deal with scenes, and these scenes, after you deal with them, 
Uh, some of them they are very gruesome, and you do, you're not taken through mental health. Uh, you know your psychological support, social support it it affects officers. A very good example would be the traffic police officers. I know the traffic police officers are only blamed uh, for for corruption, but one of the things that traffic police officers go through are the kind of scenes that they deal with when accidents have happened. Mm. Yes, mm. you find the body has been totally mashed, and they are the ones who are going to scrape off those pieces from the tarmac and carry those bodies in pieces like that to the morgue, and they are the ones again to go and be there. Uh, for the postmortem and all that, uh, you know, with the investigators. So, this kind of scenario, you go through it at the end of the day. Nobody takes you through counseling. Mm. It, it affects uh, officers in a very bad way. And so, the Inspector General, when uh, the, the the Inspector General, uh, Mr. Jaffet Gome, was appointed, I remember the first week he came to office, he, he, he started a directorate. He established a directorate of wellness, which deals with mental health in a wider way. So, we have psychologists in the police, but there are not many. We have counselors in the police, so we are devolving. If you saw the other day, we had um, priests, Catholic priests that uh, graduated from the, the Kenya Police Service. Uh, we have sent them to the regions so that they can help offer uh, uh, psychosocial support uh, to the officers. And we have so many other that we've already sent. But it is an issue where even collaboration, uh, partnership with with uh, other stakeholders would be very welcome in the National Police Service so that we all work to make it easier for police officers. Yes, and yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. and, and a mentally fit policeman yeah. or policewoman is, yeah. is a much better option than a, a non-mentally fit policewoman or, or policeman. I, um, I know we can't talk too much about this so this will be the last uh, bit we're going to talk about this morning uh, um, uh, Dr. Rasilla but um, the operation in North Rift uh, what measures has the NPS put in place to ensure civilians are not caught up in the I mean I think we can go as far as calling it a war really up in the North Rift the banditry situation uh, between security agencies and bandits and, and that their rights and properties uh, and families are protected uh, I would not delve much into this uh for um, obvious reasons. Sure. But uh, the operation is ongoing. It is uh, police-led. So the members of public, uh, we are here to, to serve the nation. Uh, police work is to protect life and property. And um, what, is, what is just the truth is that it is police-led. So Yeah, and you can't no say much need, about it. Yeah, there's no need... Of of uh, of mixing the issues. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's safe to say you're doing the best you can for in the situation. I would imagine. Yeah, because our work is to protect life and property. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an unfortunate situation, but I understand that we can't really discuss that too much. Uh, and maybe just a, a final fun question: <laughs> What do you do to relax? Like, what is <laughs> yes. it? Yes. I mean, you you've got this super stressful job, <laughs> being the face of the, the friendly face and the lovely smile of the uh, National Police Service. Uh, what do you do to relax? What do you do to wind down? What 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 is it that you have to do for you to decompress uh, outside of the workspace? Yes, uh, as I answer that, I would say that my colleagues, uh, police officers are in this country, they work so hard. And also one thing I would like you to take uh, the members of public is that we have many police officers who are very professional and very committed to serving the nation. And they are always there to serve. And uh, I would urge many, uh, all my colleagues that we be the servants of the people 
what I do to relax, I swim. Okay, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, I get to swim, and uh, I have a very slim social life. It's work, and it's home, and it's church, and <laughs> so it's very slim. Yeah. But I, I, I swim, and I jog. Okay. Yeah. So you, you like to keep in shape and in and fit. Uh, Which is important. Very, it's, a, it's also important <laughs> for mental health as well. Uh, Dr. Rasilla, what a pleasure it is. I'm so honored that you've come to Capital FM this morning. Really, what a pleasure it is to meet you. It has been a pleasure. Thank yes. you. Thanks so much and, for having us. And anytime you want to come back, uh, please, please feel free. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah.